This week, we discuss data showing global SVOD subscribers will more than double by 2027, that BMVPD customers are super streamers, and new measurement deals show progress toward multiple ad data currencies. Listen on to hear more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon's voice that you just heard at the beginning there from End Screen Media. Hi, Colin. Hi, Will. It's uh, been a busy week this week for data. Tons of data floating around uh, on our industry, which I saw, and uh, I think we're going to review some of that data in just a little bit. But wait a minute. Didn't I hear that there's a big snowstorm blowing in up there? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you did. Yeah. Uh, good eye. We're recording on Thursday afternoon. And I don't know, they're talking about maybe 10 inches or more coming in tonight, uh, early tomorrow morning throughout tomorrow. So that would be our second big storm in, I don't know, just two or three weeks. Oh, my goodness. And uh, it's certainly for us, it's cold in ha- here in California. Very, very chilly getting down to some heavy frosts, but uh, thank goodness, wow. no snow in sight. Uh, but anyway, yeah. let's, uh, let's, why don't we jump in with our news stories? Yeah, and I think you're going to go first. I am, um, and I want to talk about Discovery because they just announced their Q4 results and, and total 2021 results. And it looks pretty good. They said that that they added 2 million subscribers in the fourth quarter. And that brings the total to 22 million. Um, And I I guess this will be the last one before they actually end up merging with WarnerMedia. So I guess it's telling us that they're heading in the right direction. But I want to be just a little bit careful with this. We don't actually know how many of those 2 million uh, joined the U.S. version of Discovery. Uh, and there's a little bit of, of uh, fudging going on here because they are, they're very careful to say total paid streaming subscribers, and that would include all of the dis- subscribers in Europe who, disguise, who, who subscribe to uh, Eurosport, which Discovery owns, and uh, of course, they have a discovery SVOD service as well. That's well, actually, it's a live and VOD service in Europe too. So it, it includes those. Um, so it's very un- it's a little bit unclear how many of those are directly to Discovery Plus and how many of those to the uh, original Discovery and Eurosport uh, services in Europe. Um, but still, it's all heading in the right direction. And I tell you, well. Uh, I'm expecting big things from Discovery in Q1 because they own the streaming rights to the Olympics in Europe. And mm. uh, that's a big deal in Europe. Lots of countries there participating in in the Olympics. So I expect to see great things from them with their streaming subscribers in Q1 for 2022. Yeah, so... Thanks for that rundown, and it sounds like we might be talking about them in another three months. I think we will well, well be, be, yes. <laughs> and and of course the the merger uh, with um, Warner Media seems to be on track. That's going to close in Q two, so we'll certainly be talking about it then as well. Yes, and uh, that should that should create a bit of a streaming powerhouse. Although Mr. D- Zaslav, who's the CEO of Discovery, was quick to remind the market that he, uh, the combined company, will not be looking to 
lead the spending wars in Esford. Right. They're going to be spending their money, they say, a little bit more wisely. But uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens when they when they combine the two companies. Anyway, what caught your eye? Well, what caught my eye on a completely different subject is that um, a couple of days ago, Meta, which is now, of course, the parent company name of Facebook, announced that uh, Facebook was going to be rolling out its short-form video product, which is called Reels, for all global Facebook users this week. And that means it's going out to over 150 new countries. And this is part of Facebook's uh, battle that they're having with TikTok. And um, it's been interesting to see how Facebook has uh, continued to try to keep pace with TikTok as TikTok has continued to grow. I think it was the most downloaded app of 2021 and, of course, is very popular with younger uh, users. So um, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg said that they are ramping up the um, the rollout of Reels. They, he said that it is actually their fastest growing content format by far. And um, that in addition to that, it is uh, they're rolling out a whole bunch of new monetization features. So they really want reels and short form video to become a way that creators can uh, generate revenue and sustain themselves um, as opposed to, you know, just gravitating over to face uh, rather over to uh, TikTok or, um, you know, YouTube obviously has launched YouTube shorts, although they haven't done that globally yet. Um, so uh, just, a, you know, another sort of, uh, I think, another chapter here in terms of how video is unfolding. We obviously spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about uh, premium video. We talk about, you know, professionally produced, but there's a whole other world of the creator economy and short form video. And that's really where, you know, the TikTok and uh, TikTok, Instagram, um, now Facebook Reels, YouTube, all are very popular. And so here is uh, Facebook uh, trying to come back and compete effectively. Yeah, it sounds like they're trying to make up for that loss of 500,000 uh, users that they reported at the end of 2021. will uh, jump on board something that's growing from something that's shrinking. That, uh, as we said, they still have 1.9 or a little bit over 1.9 billion people using Facebook. So yeah. Uh, Maybe maybe yeah. not serious yet, but that's clearly what they're trying to do here, right? Interesting data point. Also, Facebook said, uh, Meta said that um, video now accounts for more than half the time that users spend on Facebook and Instagram. How about that? Wow. Yeah, I totally believe it. Pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. Pretty it, amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. So um, anyway, so those are the couple of news items. Now, we want to shift over. As you mentioned, there was a lot of data released this week, and there were two sources that you want to highlight and a couple of um, relevant data points from each one that you thought were interesting. I certainly did, Will. And the first one I want to talk about is SVOD growth. So I know that there's been lots of chatter in the U.S. market about how SVOD growth is slowing down. Um, I'm not absolutely sure it is because I think people are just doubling up on services. Uh, I know penetration growth has slowed down. But the digital TV research, their forecast certainly doesn't show any slowdown on the global, global scale. So basically they say that there are about 550 million 
total SVOD subscriptions uh, worldwide in 2021, towards the end of 2021. And they're predicting that in about six years, in 2027, that that will have tripled, more than tripled to, uh, actually that's not quite true, it's more than doubled to 1.75 billion in 2027. So they certainly seem to see lots more growth coming. Uh, and, and some interesting some interesting data po- dropped out of this, Will. So uh, he basically f- forecast each of the major services. So that is Netflix, Disney, HBO, Paramount+, Plus, Amazon, Prime Video, and Apple TV. And uh, w- w- when you sort of add all those up together in 2027, they basically account for about 50, just over 50% of all the subscribers to SVOD in the world. So that's, I guess that's first interesting data point. The second interesting data point is he has Netflix and Disney, Disney Plus, that is, both practically neck and neck at 200, Disney 276 million and Netflix 282 million. Uh, so that that's kind of interesting as well. And he actually says he thinks that in 2028, Netflix will be surpassed by Disney Plus for the first time, that Disney Plus will have more subscribers than Netflix will in in that year. Uh, so this actually made me sort of stop and think because uh, Disney does appear to be still growing pretty well in the world, although growth does seem to have slowed down in the US. But I still wonder if they're investing enough in content to really deliver on this, Will. Um, so I, I think we talked about the numbers before. Uh, Disney said uh, that they are investing $33 billion in content this year for all of their SVOD services. But there were three of them, right? So there's Hulu, Disney+, and ESPN+. They also said about one-third of that $33 billion is going to go right off the top to sports, and then it's going to basically divide the remainder up between those services. So... Netflix is spending 17 billion roughly on content uh, this year. I think they, maybe that was last year they spent 17 billion. So, you know, Disney is still spending, only spending on a par with Netflix for original content in its service. Um, and of course, it is going to continue to leverage its, leverage its uh, major film franchises, bringing them in in a fairly early window. So that probably does give it some advantages there as well. But I still wonder, Will, are they spending enough to to <laughs> to, to really catch up with with uh, Netflix? Um, Ampere Analysis actually said this week that they anticipate Netflix will be delivering, get this, 400 original titles in 2022. That is a heck of a lot of content. And I know that Disney is nowhere near that. So uh, I don't know. Well, um, Anyway, that's that's what digital TV forecasts for, for SVOD, continued strong growth. Yeah, and I mean, I think the top line, the headline there is the big one, but awfully hard to put a whole lot of stock in a five-year-out forecast on, you know, Disney Plus and Netflix being neck and neck. Who knows what's going to happen during these next five years, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean... They may not even be in the, Netflix. May not even be independent by <laughs> by that time. And I should say that uh, they included Amazon Prime Video 
and they say that Amazon Prime Video will have 256 million subscribers. Um, as you know, I have a big problem with calling Amazon Prime Video users subscribers because most right. of them didn't subscribe to it uh, directly. They subscribed to Amazon Prime. So, you know, I, I sort of question that. But what, what does come over from this research is that U.S. services are going to continue to be in the driver's seat in SVOD uh, worldwide, it looks like, at least for the next few years. Absolutely. Um, so that was one uh, data source that was on your radar this week. And there was another one as well that you're going to cover first, uh, cover as well. Yeah. And this one really speaks to how many video services we are using. So some new data from Omdia came out this week. And they, they in the data, they said that the average video household in the U.S. is now using 7.4 video services a month, uh, according to their survey. Uh, and so, you know, that sounds like a lot, right? But it, it really includes everything. So it includes your pay TV, your SVOD services, your AVOD and fast services, and probably even includes TVOD services. So if you're renting movies from, um, from say, uh, Amazon or from Voodoo or one of those, it probably includes those. So when you break it down that way, 7.4 maybe isn't quite so, uh, so a bigger total. But... This, I thought, was remarkable. They said that among virtual MVPD subscriber, subscribers, of which there were about 13 million in the US, the average is 13.5, almost <laughs> double the 7.4. And this kind of blew me away. Uh, I, I was actually wondering here if what they were saying, Will, was that you know basically because virtual MVPDs pay a little bit less, you know they're paying in a region of between sixty and seventy dollars for their service, um, rather than the typical pay TV bill, traditional pay TV bill, which is more like eighty to a hundred dollars. Maybe they were redirecting that money when they left traditional pay TV to more uh, more video services, but. Four, 13 and a half services. That's, that sounds like a ridiculous amount. I don't know how they search all of those services and manage them all. It's incredible. I agree. I mean, is it, you think the definition is really 13 and a half distinct services, or maybe they're starting to count channels within services? Like, uh, you know, you mentioned a VMVPD. If someone watches four or five channels within, does right. each one count as its own service? Well, it certainly didn't seem to seem to be that. Um, from the way they had worded in in the study that I saw, Will. Um, you know, yeah. it, it could be that they're counting multiple services inside of, say, people that are using um, Amazon Prime to subscribe to additional video services. But I, I feel like that that would be almost legitimate. So, you know, if you subscribe to Showtime and Curiosity Stream inside of Amazon Prime Video using the channels thing um, and single billing, uh, they may be including those, but I feel like that that's kind of legitimate and still a little bit differentiated from a quote channel, although it is edging that way, I suppose. Um, they did they did say something else as well. They said that um, there were more people using each subscription from virtual MVPDs than for traditional pay TV Um they said that uh, 3.8 users per su subscription for virtual MVPDs and just 2.3 per subscription for traditional pay TV. And initially when I saw this, I thought, well, 
Yeah, it's kind of hard to share a set-top box, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I guess it's it's understandable that there'd be fewer sharing of a pay TV subscription. Of course, they have their um, TV Go applications that let people share, I guess, through that way. But that might that was sort of scuppered because when I looked at the number of people that were sharing Amazon, it was two. Um, actually, it was 2.3, the same as traditional pay TV, which was higher even than Netflix, which was two. And that actually really got me foxed because I know, about, I don't know about you, but there's no way I'm sharing my Amazon subscription when people can buy things on my Amazon subscription. <laughs> it's one thing to right. watch. It's right. one thing to share the video. It's quite another thing to allow them to buy things. And I don't know how you would stop them, I guess. I, I don't think there is a way, actually. I don't think Amazon has a way of like a double sign-in kind of thing, first to Prime Video and then to the shopping service. No, I don't think there is. I think what you can do is you can put a pin on, Will. And oh, you can okay. put a pin yeah. when somebody makes a purchase, so they have to enter a pin. So maybe yeah. a lot of people are doing that. Hey, if you're doing that, if that's if you're sharing your Amazon subscription and using a pin to stop people buying on it, let us know. I, I didn't realize that there were many people using that. But anyway... Fascinating that virtual MVPDs, uh, MVPD subscribers seem to be super streamers. That's what this data tells us, at least, anyway. Super streamers. I don't think I've heard that term before, Colin. <laughs> there you go. So anything else on the Omdia research or on the other front, Colin, that you want to share this week? No, I don't think so. Um, I think, I, but, you know, it just one of, the, one of the things that both of these data points illustrate, Will, is we're still... We're still growing dramatically in streaming even here in the US so uh, that that's one thing I would take away um, but you Absolutely. you came across an interesting story this week which really speaks to something that we've talked about on the podcast before which is that we're moving towards multiple measurement methods in uh, TV advertising right Absolutely. This was a topic that came up at uh, last month's CTV preview event, a video news event. Um, but uh, Comcast announced this week, along with uh, Video Amp, that it is licensing its viewership data uh, that derives from its set-top box and smart TV um, and other devices to Video Amp. And Video Amp will incorporate data into its cross-platform measurement solution. And uh, VideoAmp has really um, made uh, a lot of noise in the industry recently, but it's you know part of a, a larger trend, as you said, um, toward media companies trying to diversify and innovate with measurement services and techniques, really with an eye to developing alternative currencies to Nielsen, especially with the upfronts coming up. So there's a lot of... Um, Obviously, a lot of controversy that swirled around Nielsen for potentially undercounting viewers during uh, COVID. And more recently, uh, there was the loss of the accreditation that Nielsen experienced. And of course, there is, um, you know, a big push by media companies to shift over to more audience based um, buying and measurement solutions in order to more effectively compete with the, the digitally oriented uh, players, whether that's Google or Facebook or you know Amazon or others. So, um, so this week's news from Comcast Advertising and VideoAmp 
fits within larger videos, larger video industry trends um, toward new measurement techniques and additional currencies and, and actually followed news. You mentioned discovery um, on the SVOD front, discovery on the advertising front announced this week that it was conducting pilot tests with uh, the big ad agency Omnicom using data from video amp and from Comscore. Uh, and clients, AT&T and State Farm, were going to be participating in that test. Um, Warner Media had um, announced last month that it had Comscore and iSpot for alternative measurement. And, um, you know, if you go back uh, as well, last month, NBC Universal announced it's using iSpot as its first certified cross-screen media measurement partner and looking to add others as well, again, with an eye toward developing an alternative currency. Um, and even if you look further back to last fall, Paramount Global, which is then called Viacom CBS, um, had named VideoAmp as a new measurement partner. So, um, you know, that's a lot in a very short period of time. But, you know, the main takeaway there, I think, is that uh, throughout the media industry, there's a huge, huge push going on right now to figure out how to measure audiences in new and innovative ways. And there are a number of different technology platforms, data providers that have emerged as key players in all of this. Um, and media companies, I think, are going to continue racing along this dimension. The idea of having a single currency, a single source of truth in the industry, as was the case for so long with Nielsen, I think those days are behind us. And it's going to be more complicated with all of these different currencies and um, and measurement formats. But I think it's going to really spur innovation and eventually probably lead towards some convergence around maybe two or three at the most. Do you think that moves like this will, will help us move the, the needle a little, little bit on ad formats? Because I know, um, you know, Viacom CBS, or as we're calling them now, uh, um, Paramount Global, Global uh, they're, they've been putting a lot into innovation in on their platform. Uh, and I'm just wondering if this will assist in any way in helping advertisers judge the performance of those new ad formats against uh, more traditional. Well, it's a great question. I mean, certainly these alternate ways of measuring that are more based on digital type, uh, you know, collection techniques, I think at least create the opportunity to measure on essentially an unlimited number of formats. It doesn't have to be like a 15 and 30 second world, like it traditionally was with linear TV and Nielsen. So I think those two are related, how much they actually spur the development of new formats, I think is still a question mark uh, as we learn last month at the video news um, CTA preview, they're still, uh, you know, basically the, the biggest, by far the biggest chunk in the industry of CTV inventory is still around 15s and 30s. So I think to your point, there's innovation happening in terms of formats, but it still accounts for a, a relatively small slice of overall uh, video inventory. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, yeah, the announcement with Discovery was also pretty interesting, right, Will, because it looks like Discovery and Warner Media are sort of converging on this uh, video amp comscore approach uh, for measurement. And that's, that's significant, of course, because when they come together, 
uh, as one company uh, this quarter, I guess, I guess this quarter, uh, they'll have some sort of already some basis on which they can sort of bring together the measurement of advertising in both Discovery Plus and HBO Max. So that that's kind of interesting that we're seeing alignment there. That was actually one of the big questions in my mind about how they were going to bring those two platforms uh, two platforms together. So that sort of answers that question, right? I think that's right. Yeah, they are seem like they're starting to act as one in a way. And that deal is slated now to close in the second quarter. So no doubt they're going to be Become a bigger leader in the industry as they bring those all those ad services together. Yeah, and one thing that uh, Discovery actually noted in their release was that they—I think I mentioned this in when we were talking about Discovery up front—that they've sort of unified the platform in Europe now. And what they what they mentioned there was that now allowed them to do advertising in in the European platform, which they have not been doing with the two separate platforms that they that they've been running in the past. So so that's kind of interesting. And once again, you know, here here's an intersection with HBO Max. HBO Max is fast launching as uh, as quickly as it can in Europe and and other geographies. So the two of them coming together, coming together on measurement, uh, coming together mm-hmm. on platforms uh, should be should be very interesting for both companies when they come together. Fair enough, Colin, and uh, we'll certainly be keeping track of that. But I think we're out of time for this week's edition of Inside Stream. So great chatting with you, as always. Yep, good to talk to you, Will. And um, programming note, I think we're going to skip next week's podcast, Colin, because I'm going to be traveling. So we will be back in business two weeks from now. Very good. All right, Colin, good chatting. And thanks, everybody, for listening in. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news, all rights reserved.